Today's episode is brought to you by trainedup.church. You know, one of the most critical responsibilities we have as ministry leaders is to train our volunteers, equipping the saints for ministry. But it can be really frustrating as well, can't it? We have to find a date and a time and a location that works for everybody. And then, of course, it doesn't actually work for everybody. So what do you do with the folks who can't make it? And then when someone joins the church next month and wants to start volunteering, do you do the training all over again? After a while, all that time and the pizza lunches really start to add up. It was an answer to this challenge that Scott Magdalene and his team built Trained Up. Scott himself was an executive pastor and realized that online video courses were a flexible and powerful way to capture training once and deliver it to an unlimited number of volunteers at their convenience. Trained Up has an extensive library of training videos and courses you can share with your team, but even more importantly, they give you the ability to film and upload your own training videos and courses to ensure that the language, concepts, and details are right for your church. You can even add a quiz at the end to make sure people are paying attention while they watch. It can be as simple as using your own computer's webcam or the camera on your phone, but if video isn't your thing, you can hire their production team to create a professional quality video using your content. Check out Trained Up today by heading over to trainedup.church. Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Ryan O'Neill, the singer, songwriter, and musician behind the band Sleeping at Last. Ryan joins us today to talk about his creative process, as well as Christmas through the eyes of an artist. And be sure to listen all the way to the end of the episode, because we have a special treat, a song from Sleeping at Last. Well, my guest today is Ryan O'Neill. He's a singer, songwriter, and the musician behind the band Sleeping at Last. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to uh, ask you this very first question. We normally ask folks to tell us a little bit about themselves, but I know that you are buddies with Brad Montague of Kid President, and he was a guest on our show, and he refused to answer the question, what do you do, and instead substituted his own, which is, what do you love about what you do? And so since the two of you are buddies, I'm going to ask you, what do you love about what you do, Ryan? Oh my gosh, that's a, that is a great question. Um, I I love that I get to process and explore themes in in writing songs. I, I it's it's my therapy. It's my uh, it's my passion in life. So uh, I just feel very very blessed and fortunate to get to do what I love on a daily basis. I complain a lot about it to my <laughs> friends and family too. So don't get me wrong, but I, I at the core of it, um, I I truly truly just love the the. The privilege that it is to uh, to make music. And can you tell us a little bit about the scope of, of what you do? You've got Sleeping at Last. Uh, you also do a bunch of covers under Sleeping at Last, but they end up on Shonda Rhimes shows. You do all kinds of music. Can you give us maybe a picture of your portfolio of work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, everything is made under the name Sleeping at Last, as you mentioned. Um, and so uh, the, the main, I would say the top the top, uh, the headlining part of what I do is I write songs, and uh, it mostly comes out in uh, in the form of series. So rather than albums, I, I'm working on like these long form series of songs. Uh, currently, I'm working on a project called Atlas, which is uh, takes place over the course of uh, I'll be working on this probably for the next few years at least, and I've been working on it for three or four years now too. So, and every year basically I um, announce these themes in which I'm going to write songs under, and um, uh, part of those themes. 
or, you know, a song for each of the planets in our solar system, a song for each of the five senses. Basically, the, the, the overall narrative of all of this ties together is uh, songs about the origins of the universe and kind of uh, the, the start of everything. So that's, that's the main thing that I do. And a lot of those songs get used in film and TV, which is such a privilege. But then uh, additionally, I write um, or not write, I get to record cover songs for different t- TV shows. And that started with Grey's Anatomy. Shonda um, and her team were, were kind enough to invite me to try my hand at the the 500 miles song by yeah. the Proclaimers. Um, and so that was kind of the very beginning of doing covers. And then in addition to covers, I also have done a little bit of film scoring, including um, writing a bunch of the music for the Kid President TV show for Brad. And uh, um, I had the privilege of being involved in, in some of their some of their YouTube videos, including the pep talk. And, and so. Um, so, yeah, so I get to I get to constantly change what I'm doing, which I which I love. And I, I read somewhere that that's sort of a. Uh, changing the workflow uh, frequently it can lead to uh, to really really enjoying your work even more and I, I have found that to be true for my own my own path as well like I love I love getting to write for themes or write for specific projects or cover songs that I you know wouldn't necessarily even listen to in, in an intentional way so it's really fun to kind of always shift what I'm doing that's so true. And I'm sure that we'll get to it in the course of the conversation. But I think the way that you play with the forms and the way that you've structured your work like this, I think it's it's so inspiring to us as preachers and church communicators, which is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on here, because you're not just, I'm going to write 13 songs, record it, then tour on it for two years, and then do that process all over again. You attack your work from so many different angles. I think it it perhaps offers a model for us as preachers uh, that maybe feel like we're stuck in the rut, like we're preaching the same sermon over and over again, or we're just doing the same types of series. And I think um, as transferable as music can be to preaching, I think the way that you approach a variety of topics and, and I think it's just inspiring and I think it's I think it's something that our audience can learn from. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Let's go ahead and jump to that 30,000 foot level. What are your philosophies or approaches to music uh, or communication in general? If you had a mission statement or a guiding principle for what you do, what might it be? I've got a few. So uh, the first thing that is most important to me is that I will never write anything that isn't from my heart. Like I really, I, if I think basically when I was a 14 year old just starting writing songs, that became came very, very important to me. And I sort of set out a rule that uh, it's, music is not worth making for me unless it, it truly is personal and vulnerable and sincere. And so that has been my, my criteria for writing ever since. And I, I, want, I feel like to make at least my, my ideal version of art is to be as honest as possible. And so the only way to do that is to, uh, to never force anything into my songs and also never force anything out of my songs. So that's been my, uh, that's been my initial rule, uh, from, from when I began writing until now. And, uh, um, I've, I've stuck with it. And then, uh, a songwriter friend of mine, probably, I guess it would have been right around that time as well, 15 years old. He was uh, maybe a few years older than me and was kind enough to kind of take me under his wing. And um, one thing he said about lyric writing that always stuck with me is try to say as much as you possibly can with as few words as you can. Mm. And so that has always been a, a, a lyrical challenge for me because, um, you know, you have a you have a limited <laughs> amount of space in, yeah. in a song, in, the, in a traditional song structure. And so to try to say as much as I can with as few words, I think... It, it makes it forces me to choose better words <laughs> or yeah, to constantly yeah, yeah. search for better words so that's been another uh, another rule that I followed and then um, another another person that was kind enough to mentor me 
early on in my career was Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. He he said something that always stuck with me as well, which is to write it down and remember that you don't have to show anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like that is also um, it. It helps avoid some writer's block because it basically, if you give yourself permission to write something terrible for a minute, <laughs> you uh, you uh, you you might find that that terrible initial idea led to a better idea, and so um, that's always been a, a, in the background of my uh, uh, writing process as well. But um, but it, as a whole, uh, back to your your uh, question that I probably didn't really answer directly. I, I want I want hope to come through in my music. That is um whether whether or not I even intend for it to happen, I've noticed that over the years of making music there there seems to be a theme of hope in everything that I do. Even if I like set out to try to write a, a song inspired by the emotion sorrow, like <laughs> yeah. like the saddest song I've ever written. Um at the very end, I without me uh forcing it in there, um it there hope kind of takes root and um so uh, my, uh, no pun intended, my, my hope for these songs is that um, people will feel understood and, and find a bit of hope in, in, the, in, the, in the music I'm trying to write. And, um, but yeah, so. I want to break down a little bit of what you're talking about. Let's start with the end there. You say that your, your music is infused with hope. It, with as much as you're comfortable, would you, would you share your relationship with faith or the church uh, if you have one? And h- how do you infuse that into your work? Because you're someone that puts out music. You're not described as a Christian artist. You know, you're, you're showing up on all sorts of projects, mainstream uh, and, and through the internet and stuff. How, do, how, does, how does your personal kind of view and relationship with faith or spirituality uh, help infuse your work with hope. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, so. I grew up in um, a non-denomination Christian home, and so faith was always this very loving part of my upbringing. And so, I, right around the same time that I was starting to write songs, it was sort of the question in my head was like, okay, well, there's these. On one side, I see all these Christian bands, and then on the other side, I see all these bands that I like and <laughs> yeah. enjoy. And what I don't really, I don't really know. Um, and I don't know if this maybe even connects to my personality type. I, I, uh, I'm an appreciate of the Enneagram personality typing tool. And um, so I'm a nine, uh, if you're familiar with that. And basically the nine is like the uh, the need to avoid. Yeah, yeah, me <laughs> so, too. I'm a nine too. <laughs> are you? Oh, that's awesome. So you know what I'm talking about. Oh, um, yeah. I think it being being faced with that conflict of like, wait, well, I, I want to I wanna, I wanna be both. Is that possible? Um, I want to make harmony out of this conflict. And so I I remember at a really early age, just like I said, that rule of never force anything into my music and never never force anything out. So that was that was just how I approached faith in my songs as well. Including, um, I just knew that as part of as part of being sincere and, or at least the effort to be sincere in my music, that meant that um, my faith needed to come through in an organic way. And so I didn't play at just churches. I played at bars. I actually played at like Chicago bars. And when I was like 15 and I had to have my parents come with, because <laughs> apparently you're allowed to perform at a bar. <laughs> you just can't like attend a bar, which is very, very strange. I still am confused about the legalities of that. But. Yeah. So I always had like a, this kind of one foot in, um, basically, and I, I, I think that I've carried this through as an adult too. I, I consider it such a great privilege to get to share something I create with anybody that is kind enough to listen. So yeah. whether that is a person of faith or somebody that has no interest in that, like, like I, it's the same privilege for me. And so that just encourages me to make sure that I'm, I'm just being as sincere as I possibly can. I don't, I don't want to cram anything down anybody's throat. And I also just want to, I don't know, I just want to, I wanted to 
process my faith honestly through the songs. So that has been that has been kind of my relationship with faith and my music is just that it, it you can even if you go back you can kind of see the seasons of my life where um like the waves of my faith is <laughs> are kind of crashing over certain yeah. songs and albums where I'm really trying to figure something out and then there's other times where um it's a little bit more obscured in the background and so that that has been a, an intentional part of me trying to get out of my own way. You've just started a new set of songs on the Enneagram, and you've just released, uh, well, we're recording this in late October. It'll be out in early December, so there may be uh, more of them out by then. But I've I've listened to song number one and listened to your amazing new podcast, The Sleeping At Last Podcast, where you break down individual songs, uh, which is so amazing. It's it's like the Thank podcast you. song exploder, but every episode is Sleeping At Last, which is pretty great. <laughs> That's basically what I want. I'm like, I want to be a guest on Song Exploder every week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you had been doing that in blog posts as well on your website, breaking down stuff. I have. That's that's where it originated. And I kind of I came to a point as I was writing these very, very long, detailed uh, blog posts about how each song was made. I thought, I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb because I'm not actually showing people the, yeah. you know, the sound. <laughs> it's, it's missing. It's void of the one element that I'm talking about, which is sound, you know. So the podcast kind of became like, oh, that's it gives me it gives me a place to really explain and kind of dive a little deeper into what I was doing with each of these songs. And the, the Enneagram project, as you mentioned, was kind of the, the perfect catalyst for it because the Enneagram is such a in-depth and can be such a beautiful tool for just self-help and, and, um, and just self-betterment. So I wanted to, I really wanted to just be able to fully articulate like why I'm doing what I'm doing with these songs. And, and I consider it a huge responsibility to try to write a song for each of the nine Enneagram types. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, because like I mentioned, I am a nine and, um, I'm singing, I'm, I'm <laughs> singing from the perspective of every other type, um, as well. And so. you don't want to make any of them mad. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to, I don't want this to be a collection of songs, uh, from the perspective of a nine, I, yeah. I really want to honor each type and hopefully have it be nine stories of redemption rather than, uh, you know, <laughs> this is what a nine thinks of all of everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And and I know that the Enneagram is infused with a level of spirituality, but like I said, I've, I've only listened to number one so far because that's all that's out at this point. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the story of, of, of someone that the type one that's always trying to be perfect and always trying to earn grace rather than receive grace. Uh, yeah. it just, it, it's an amazing project. I, I hope our listeners will check it out, but let me jump back your, so your three you. bullet points there for guiding principles. The first one you said you, you don't release anything unless you're proud of it or it really resonates with you. Yeah. Yet at the same time, you don't, you don't necessarily have the weekly deadline that, that preachers have, uh, where you're putting no, out a song not. every week. But at the same time, you do have certain deadlines because you're putting out a certain number of songs, you know, within a certain time period. For and, sure. I, and I've kind of added up some of the work that you've done over the last couple of years. And, and between these projects that you release on a regular basis throughout the year, the soundtracks, the covers, and let's be honest, we all have sermons that are essentially cover songs. Um, <laughs> you, you write and record and release roughly the same number of songs per year as a regular preacher puts out who is in oh, the wow, pulpit every right? week. Yeah, it's pretty close. That's um, cool. And so I was wondering, how do you hold intention the, I won't release something unless I'm proud of it, yet at the same time, you're essentially averaging 
a song a week for, you know, 11 of the 12 months. Let's say a pastor, you know, gets four weeks of vacation or brings in guest preachers. How Mm -hmm. do you balance the the, the sort of deadlines that you have? Because you do put out music regularly with this, I won't put out something unless I'm proud of it. Yeah, so a funny thing happened. So this all, my my process of releasing this much music and um, kind of in a thematic form started with a project I did called Yearbook. And it was essentially a just a creative challenge for myself that I made public. So I wanted to write three songs every month for a year. And that's 36 songs over yeah. the course of one year. And I, I all self-imposed deadlines. But the thing was, I, I announced them. So I had to do them. And I took subscriptions <laughs> <Right>. for it. <laughs> so I, I felt very responsible that people would trust me with their hard-earned money to to write these songs. And the funny thing was, so up up to that point, I had about you know eight years of making music before then. And I would have probably actually more than that. Um, I would have, I would have said that's the worst idea creatively anybody has ever put together. Not only would it just like remove any inspiration, you would just run out. Um, but I also just thought it would cheapen, cheapen the work that I was doing. And the funny thing was it, it, it truly was the exact opposite. So it, it not only taught me everything I know at this point about writing and recording and being honest in my music, to a level that I never even knew was even possible. But it also, it just, it it informed how I have, I think I'll continue to release music for the rest of my life as long as I'm able. Um, I, I, I so enjoy the process of like this living uh, creative thing. I, I get to work on a song and then within, you know, a very, very short amount of time, people, I get to share it with people. And that's yeah. so opposite of writing a record or holding off songs or trying to find the, the hit single. And um, the rule of I never want to release anything I'm not proud of actually became this like this really, I think, helpful and it became this this compass inside me that and I, there were several songs during that project and and now where i'm working on and i have a i have my I have my early warning system goes off when i know a song isn't <laughs> quite isn't quite what it needs to be and yeah. so that that internal compass always is is like it, i can't lie to it <laughs> like i yeah, can't yeah. i can't force a song out that i'm not genuinely proud of I've tried <laughs> and I like literally can't press even the yeah, distribute yeah, yeah. button. <laughs> we all have it. sermons like that too. Yeah. There's just like, there's, there's a certain, uh, like I just, I, there, I don't know what it is. I'm sure you have the same thing, but it's, there's, there's something that tells you like, nope, you cannot cut that corner. You want to, y- you probably could, but you shouldn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so true. Um, and it ended up like, uh, oddly enough. So the, I used to make full length records and, um, any time that I've, you know, after the fact, have have heard the record from, in whatever circumstance, I have to listen to my own music. I don't, I don't sit around listening to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I need as much space as I can possibly get from that. But um, uh, occasionally, I have to like listen to a, a vinyl pressing of it or something like that. And I, there's always this like I, I remember listening to these full length records that I was making, and I was proud of them on one hand, but then on the other hand, I just kept feeling like. I was like kind of far removed from the source, like the inspiration. I remember the yeah. demo of the song and I remember how excited I was. And then throughout the the ugly process of like beating it into a, a song, <laughs> it's, it kind of, it kind of lost a little bit of the magic. But when I listen back through the music that I'm making more um, quickly through these, these series like yearbook and Atlas, uh, there's, there's a really, really deep connection that feels much more closely connected to my like original inspiration and source. And it also taught me uh, so much about writer's block and how if you keep your butt in the chair, you are, you're, 
it's yeah. inevitable you will write you will write something it's going to be you might you might write weeks worth of terrible material and again <laughs> you don't have to share it with anybody but you will then find stuff that you never would have gotten to if you didn't kind of write your way through uh the the difficult and, and ugly stuff so it, it, in so many ways, the, the like the writing in 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 the in the consistent form that I do now um, has just been really it's just really like therapeutic and helpful for me too because I again um, when I would make full length records I would go away and I would I would almost like by the time a year or two passed and then I came back to writing songs I would be so stressed out like I didn't know what I was doing yeah. <laughs> I was very yeah. insecure about the whole thing and I I, I genuinely like I, I will never be able to write a record as you know that does what the last one did and it felt so pressured and so ugly and I'm like no 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 I I want to write I want to write from from the heart and I want to be able to um I feel like that that fire under my butt is gonna is gonna force me to uh keep that creative you know um that creative inspiration open and uh and hopefully uh fluid <laughs> you know yeah yeah it is it is a muscle i mean that's that's really the best analogy for it is like if you if you continually work out you're going to that muscle is going to get used to uh it will get stronger and then it'll also get used to the the abuse you put it through <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And and I'm sure the, the process for each song is a little bit different. Yeah. But can you share with us some of the disciplines that you use to try to, to try to stay on this track and keep yourself moving in in the right direction? Yeah, totally. I so I have mostly my discipline is is just trying to find disciplines that work. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's most people is like, all right, maybe if I listen to this podcast, somebody will tell me yeah, yep, <laughs> tell yep. me a better way to figure it out. So I really do feel like it is like the the journey of figuring it out is is the discipline itself. Um, uh, but for me, it started with the, the artist way, which is, um, the famous for the morning pages concept. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but, um, yeah, uh, that, that definitely rings true to me. So I do a form of that where I have, I have like a, a, an app called day one on my phone and on my computers that I, I just constantly free write into them. Um, I try to do it every day. It doesn't happen, (laughs) but I, it's, it's a practice that I, I, um, hope to, uh, hope to get better at. And it always is helpful. Again, it's like, even if it's one word that I, that all of a sudden just resonates that day or a, a line or an idea or just totally free thinking, uh, that, that seems to be really helpful. But, um, one thing for me that I've noticed is the, I'm, I guess it's language that helps me is to kind of think of my career as like input and output. And so I have focused I, I, I've realized that it's as as deadlines get tighter and as life and family um, responsibilities kind of move things around in your calendar, it, it's really important to prioritize input. So it's it, for me that that looks like watching movies. That looks like discovering new art that inspires me. Going out for yeah. walks, um, all sorts of different stuff like that to kind of refuel a little bit. And then because um, it's so easy to just just only focus on output. Like output equals productivity equals I'm. Um, I must be doing okay. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, Oh wait, I need to actually output output is impossible without the input. So, um, I am constantly just looking, um, to prioritize the, that input period of my writing. And so that's, it, again, it's not a really practical piece of advice, but that, that language for me has been helpful. Another, another thing in, it's in a book called, um, songwriters on songwriting. And I, I can't remember exactly who said it. I I've, I've, Requoted it several times, um, but I think it was Paul <laughs> Simon. I'm going to just give him credit for it. <laughs> he said something like songwriting is like waiting for a bus where, and I think this applies to any writing, where you definitely cannot control when that bus is going to show up, but you can 
can make sure that you're at the bus stop. And so mm. for me, that looks like sitting in the studio waiting for something to happen <laughs> or going out for a walk yeah. waiting for something. Yeah. Just uh, forcing myself to be um, open to it and, um, and also a, a, a certain amount of grace and patience for most days when it doesn't come. I think that that's a key thing because I've noticed like the the longer I go without writing something I'm proud of, the harder I am on myself, which means that the further away from returning to anything worth anything uh, becomes. So uh, if I figured out, I'll let you know. And if you figure it out, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that, yeah, I think that input piece is so critical uh, and we're all carrying essentially a notebook with our smartphones like we have cameras we have video cameras we have voice memo yep. we have note-taking devices there is literally no excuse other than laziness yeah uh, or you know perhaps you know not wanting to film a stranger <laughs> out in public or <laughs> right. something but we have almost no excuse for not collecting these things and so i think that's so vital i think that's really important another really intriguing thing you said is trying to say as much as you can in, a, in as few words as possible which i think a lot of us as preachers could do a much better job above the number of 45 minute sermons that could be done in 20 <laughs> minutes uh, and be much more distilled down would be amazing. But one of the things I've always loved about uh, your work is that it is so artistic, it is so creative and poetic, and yet on a, for most of the time, I feel like I get what you're talking about. Oh, that's awesome. And then there's bands that I love and I have an emotional response to, but I have no idea what he's singing about. Um, <laughs> totally. And that's still a really great experience, but I, I appreciate, I think, more personally uh, when I feel like I can connect with you. And so how is it that you try to balance or how do you understand the relationship between artistry and clarity? That's awesome. Um, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. I, I think that in my lyrics, I've used to write far more abstract concepts and lyrics. I, I even going back through, uh, looking through like the, the old stuff that I've done, I'm like, Oh wow. Like I I don't really know what that song was about. I know it was, <laughs> I know it meant a lot to me at the time, but I don't, it was, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of visuals and, and I, I, metaphors and ideas that I don't remember how they all connected to my heart. <laughs> and, yeah. and for some reason, the, I think the older I get, and probably the, um, these thematic themes uh, or these thematic series that I'm working on, rather, are uh, definitely, in, I think, pull me towards trying to be clearer and more um, refined. And I think it points me to storytelling a little bit more. And I have, I have a deep admiration for Pixar and um, just the just smart storytelling and I've always kind of wanted to try to put some sort of amount of story storytelling in my songs and I, I it's probably uh, I, I have a long way to go in terms of that stuff but I feel like that has that has led me to um, trying to write a little bit more narrative and a little clearer so I don't know if that answers your question at all but it is an answer <laughs> well I, I think it's important that that is is important to you that it that it's part of what you're trying to do uh, are there i i mean it is i know it's really hard to explain yeah. and try to break down art but like are there are there any filters you run it by like do you ever share lyrics with people and and ask for whether they think it's clear enough or is it kind of you have your own internal judge like do you have any practical <clears throat> tips for for maybe pastors who want to get a little more artistic or a little more into storytelling but are worried that they're going to kind of stray beyond the kind of clarity that's needed. So uh, whenever I have like a, a moment where I'm like, okay, 
I know I mean it this way, but that lyric could be taken in maybe this way that is totally opposite of how I mean it. Um, and mm. in those cases, I run it through, um, especially my mom. I, I always, I, she's kind of my litmus test for all of my my work. She's so kind and supportive of, of the things I've been doing and knows my my um, my strengths uh, of, or, or failures <laughs> in, yeah, in songwriting yeah, yeah. ever since I started. So sh- I always show um, show her and my wife uh, some some of the work that I'm working on, especially the stuff that I'm a little bit concerned isn't as clear as I want it to be. So I definitely feel like it's it, it is really helpful to welcome feedback from very particular sources because Mm -hmm. I have, I've made the mistake of welcoming too much feedback. And (laughs) I I just, I get, I get to that point where I just like, well, okay, I'm throwing it all out. (laughs) Yeah. Even if there are valid comments, I just wanted, I'm, it's all garbage now. My original intent is gone and I don't care. (laughs) So, um, so I, I've learned that uh, it's really best to only show a, a, a couple people that you truly trust that, um, that you feel like you can, I don't even feel like it's it's about honest feedback as much as it's about your ability to accept honest feedback cuz yeah. I would like to admit I would like to say that I can I can hear honest feedback from anyone but I I think it has to come from <laughs> the people that I allow it from <laughs> you know Yeah yeah Well this episode will release early in December and in our previous episode uh that aired we discussed Christmas from a pastoral perspective and talked yeah. about the season of Advent kind of deep in <clears throat> theology and the kinds of things that that pastors need to think about but I'd love to hear uh your perspective as an as an artist what makes Christmas special to you are there any themes or images in the Christmas story that capture your imagination, like maybe things that you would end up writing down in your notebook? And then are are there any uh, parts of of the Christmas story, either like uh, just straight up imagery from the story or themes that you find in it that you might encourage our listeners to consider including in a Christmas Eve message? Oh, that's a lot of pressure. But um, it is, you know, I have actually, it's interesting. So I I recently became a dad. um, Well, I have a three-year-old and uh, a little girl that just became, uh, just became one. Is that, that's not even a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I have a little girl that turned one recently. And so I, as I as I see these beautiful new lives, like completely vulnerable and um, and basically, it, it's up to my wife and I to keep them alive. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. I, I like that parallel with the with the the story of Jesus' birth is is it has been especially interesting to me just because the the creator of all things taking the form of this this truly helpless and um, perfect and innocent. Uh, being that is at the uh, responsibility of these broken people. <laughs> I just, mm, yeah. I've, I've thought a lot about that. Um, but Christmas is my absolute favorite holiday, and um, I, I had, I was fortunate enough to have a really beautiful and wonderful childhood where Christmas was just this truly magical uh, month <laughs> for yeah, for my yeah, family yeah. and I. So um, that led to a, a, a massive appreciation for Christmas music, and um, and I just, I just love the. The, the celebration of, of that beautiful, beautiful story. It is true that, you know, obviously God had a plan for Jesus. And so chances are good that Jesus was going to stay alive until that purpose was completed. But Jesus was still 
at the mercy of of these parents who were very real people and uh, and I think that there is a parallel to that when we carry the message of the gospel into the world like there is a purpose for the gospel and that will be achieved whether or not you and I do our jobs absolutely but it is still fragile and it is still in our hands and when you carry that that message through your music and when uh, you know myself and some of our listeners carry that message up into the pulpit we're, we're very much like Mary and Joseph trying to take this this fragile yet important thing that is still growing and developing and presenting it to the world that's exactly right and I feel I feel like we are all every single human being is this extremely broken container that uh, that somehow <laughs> gets to carry around this like this uh, this perfect light that we uh, totally fumble the ball on all the time. But we uh, it's 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 kind of a I always love that metaphor of it of it being um, just these broken hands holding up something perfect. Yeah. Well, uh, can you are you a, are you an old school Christmas guy? Are you like Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby? I are am. you new school Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. a mix of both? A little a little <laughs> mix, but um, I definitely. So I, I created a couple of years ago. I created like just for me and my my family like the what i think is the the perfect christmas playlist <laughs> so so i gathered on spotify my my very favorite christmas songs and they all tend to be from Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra oh and man yeah Bing Crosby uh and there's there's several others on there but um there's it, it basically i mean it's basically all the stuff that i was i, I was exposed to as a kid that i i have that that completely bring me back to uh to that excitement of of the of the holidays well uh is that spotify playlist a, a public one that we can search for and find or is yeah totally yeah it's it's under my uh my spotify artist page okay cool well i you know i tried to put together my own but it takes time to curate something like that so it really does it takes years <laughs> oh well you put out your own uh, christmas collection <laughs> each year yeah. uh and uh you've been releasing it for free which is amazing and and hopefully that's still the plan for this year yeah why why do you think Christmas music is so special and unique? Why do you think artists of all genres are drawn to Christmas music, whether they're people of faith or not? Why why do you think Christmas music is so unique and special? I think it I think it has to has to do with nostalgia. I feel like it's the it's it it has such a a specific timbre and and uh spirit in so much of the Christmas music that I feel like is is so perfectly fitting to to the to the holidays and just all of the memories that people are, are living out against those songs you know like i feel like as an example like my my wife and i met uh 17 years ago and uh, i remember the very first coldplay record <laughs> being like in the car and it was it was yeah. around that time but there's there's every once in a while there there'll be music that's played at a certain moment in life um, yeah. that is yeah. just like will always bring me back to that exact moment and i feel like christmas music is like a whole genre of just that yeah. for everybody <laughs> you know it brings brings everybody collectively back to an entire month so i think i think that there's something there's some sort of spark in there and I, and i think the melodies are just great even though most of them are derivatives of each other yeah <laughs> so true they are they uh, like every time i'll be writing i'll be like oh wow this kind of has like a christmas song feel <laughs> and they're like, oh, there's like 19 Christmas songs that I can sing over that same chord progression. <laughs> well, and it's kind of amazing how much Christmas music <clears throat> is set in three or six, eight or uh, yep. in minor keys, which is not the case with the majority of what you hear on the radio. That's right. That's right. So I, I feel like it's it's this uh, this kind of it's thing that's evolved over the years that is uh, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the holidays for sure. And yeah, as you mentioned, so I every year for the last 
well over a decade, I have recorded at least one Christmas song uh, each each holiday season, and um, and I give it out for free. So it's accumulated into this uh, this whole Christmas collection. And this actually um, this year is the the first year it'll be available on vinyl, and it'll come out in um, on Spotify and. Um, uh, Apple Music, and uh, we'll have two new additions to uh, to the collection this year. So very excited for those songs to be out. And I think when this podcast airs, those songs will be out so I can tell you what they are. Um, I did It's the Most Wonderful year, Time of the Year, and then I also recorded The First Noel. Oh, wow. That's great. Both both of them with a string quartet and um, both songs. I just, I love those melodies. So it was really fun to get to visit them. Yeah. When you, you have a killer friend who plays cello and I, I tell my wife every year, if you could just get me a cello player for Christmas, I'll be happy. And, and it has yet to happen, <laughs> <That's> but <awesome. laughs> it would be great. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, she's Sharon Gerber is her name and she plays cello on most of my music and is, is one of my favorite people. And um, I like there, some people that play, uh, instruments have like a very specific and unique voicing and she just like she literally I treat her like a vocalist because she she the way she plays her cello has like more of soul than I could ever put in my voice oh yeah yeah (laughs) so it's uh I feel very fortunate to keep making music with her well one of your original songs on this collection is a song called snow and uh you have been gracious enough to to allow us to include that song in this podcast and so listeners if you'll hang on to the end of the podcast you'll get to hear the original Christmas song called snow by sleeping at last uh can you do sort of a mini uh uh sleeping at last podcast telling us a little bit about this song (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So that song, it's, it's got some, it's got some heartbreak around it. It's, I, I, the holidays I think are, uh, equal parts amazing because it brings family together and then super hurtful and difficult because it brings families together. (laughs) And so, um, I wanted to write a song for the people that, the holidays are a really difficult and a reminder of of their their broken families and the the struggles that so many different people face myself included um i'm fortunate to have uh, really great relationships with a lot of my family members but there's there's some brokenness there too so i really wanted to i wanted to write something i knew that there was no shortage of of holly jolly christmas songs yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um i wanted to write something that i uh that that kind of um maybe could provide a little bit of hope for people that uh, are, are the holidays are not this nostalgic, beautiful thing, but more of a, a reminder of the things that are broken and, and, and lost. So, um, so that's kind of where this song came from. Um, there are several lines in there that are kind of hidden away, um, that, ins- that are, well, some of them are more obvious than others that are inspired by it's a wonderful life, which is my <laughs> yeah. favorite movie of all time. Um, and so, uh, I, I wanted to use some of the visuals, uh, in, from, uh, the pedals in our pockets and, um, and things like that. So it was, a it was a really fun song to write, even though it is kind of a, a, a tearjerker, <laughs> um, at least, at least for me, cause it reminds me of the brokenness of my own, in my own families. But it also, uh, I hope points to the, the fresh start of, of a new year and, um, and like the, the clean slate that the the holidays can bring us to, because I feel like the holidays offer an opportunity for healing yeah. as much as uh, an opportunity to remember all the difficult uh, 
places you've been and um, relationships that have that have fallen apart. Yeah, I think one of the lines towards the end <clears throat> is that uh, our New Year's resolutions are reset tonight, and um, mm-hmm. I I am one of those very sentimental New Year make resolutions, and then of course they're, you know they're gone by February. Um, Absolutely, but the, <laughs> seventh. The, yeah, the the last couple years, uh, I've I've <clears throat> had one in particular that. I have known I've needed to do. And uh, and like all resolutions, they're so idealistic that you rarely ever achieve them unless they're like a floss every day. But you know, like the yes. really meaty ones. And so I love, that's when it jerks on my tears at, there at the end of the song. Aww. Because for me, it's this reminder that mixing it with God's grace, like these resolutions can reset. And just because you didn't necessarily get as far as you wanted one particular year, it's not over and, and you have a chance to start fresh. Oh, that's awesome so, to hear. Yeah. So that Thank means you. a lot. Thank yeah. you for saying that. Thanks for listening to that and for, uh, for even paying attention to those words. <laughs> it means, it means a great deal to me because that's exactly what I was, I was hoping those words would, would mean. Well, you know, there are two ways to listen to Sleeping at Last and one mm-hmm. is to put it on in the background because it's really great soundtrack music. And then the other is to like sit down as if you're going to read a meaty book because there's just so much <laughs> to, to what you write. So I'm honored. Thank yeah. you. Well, uh, we have a, a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And the first mm-hmm. one is what is one of your most favorite and or most challenging projects you've ever worked on? Oh, um, I always hope that the answer is going to be the, the newest thing I'm working on <laughs> yeah. is my favorite. And I, I, that has that has been true so far. Um, I, these Enneagram songs that I'm working on as part of my Atlas project, I'm on to a year two of that Atlas project in, um, in which I'm writing these these nine songs inspired by the nine Enneagram types. And it's so fascinating to be able to dive in deep into um, the motivations behind why, why people do what they do. Um, So that's been, that's been, it's like this beautiful tool for empathy that I have uh, become so fascinated by and with. And, and like I said, the responsibility of trying to write um, honestly from the perspective of, of different types of people that think very differently than, than my, uh, than my nineness can think yeah. um, has been. I think it's been really healthy for me to do it. it, it like there, there, there were certain types in the enneagram that I sort of uh, felt like I had less in common with. And the the deeper I dig, the more I realize, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we are all just trying so hard to be worth anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like the, the and every single type just needs to let go of this this uh, this barrier that is um, preventing each of us from from receiving. Uh, Grace, grace is really particular to the one, but it also, um, in in a different language and a different form, it's it's it truly runs through all all nine types that we yeah. just all of our defense mechanisms and our um, our ways about um, uh, earning our our keep in the world is is is. It's it, it, the Enneagram exposes all of them. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. That's been really fun, and it's also been the most challenging. So it kind of fits both of the that's great. both of those questions. Well, who have been some of the most impactful artists or uh, non-artist communicators in your life, and why? Yeah, so um, I would say early on it'd be uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, uh, the band Radiohead, Bjork, uh, Nina Simone, Nick Drake. Uh, later in my career, I became. Um, really fascinated with, uh, with Billie Holiday and, um, trying to think who else is a big influence. Um, Joanna Newsome. Um, those are, those are some musical, uh, people that I, I greatly admire. Um, but as far as communicators, I would say, um, my friend Bob Goff is a huge, yeah. 
huge inspiration, I, even outside of making music, just in, in trying to live life better. Like I always joke that those, what would Jesus do bracelets? Like <laughs> Bob is like the one that like, no, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Like what? <laughs> um, so uh, he, he's a huge influence and my friend Mike Foster is a huge influence in, in terms of his uh, language for grace and communicating to people that uh, feel like they aren't worth it. So, mm. yeah, I feel like I've, I'm very, very fortunate to have a lot of people um, holding the bar very high <laughs> in yeah. terms of um, ways I want to be when I grow up, you know. Well, what books, podcasts, or other resources would you recommend our audience check out? I love a podcast called How I Built This. It's a, yeah. it's a podcast that my sister-in-law recommended to me recently, and I've just been so fascinated to hear kind of the heart behind, I mean, w- one particular episode was about how 1-800-GOT-JUNK got started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like so not something that I would be excited to learn about. But um, just, again, it's, it's, it's really wonderful storytelling, and um, it's wonderful uh, – to, to hear the the heart in which people are are doing the the work that they're doing and trying to put put something good into the world so um that's been a huge influence i or a huge podcast of enjoyment for me and then uh radio lab is always that's a yeah it's a favorite of mine in terms of podcasts i'm trying to think a book called the sacred enneagram by chris hewitt is a is a really really beautiful book chris is a friend of mine and um he's actually how i learned about the enneagram so um to have all of his uh, wisdom in one in one book form has been uh, has been awesome. It means I don't have to call him every day to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if this is true, but I was told that every uh, every Pixar employee receives this, and it's a book on storytelling, and it's by Brian McDonald, and it's called Invisible Ink, and um, it is amazing so far. I'm about halfway through, and uh, it's it's already shaping uh, shaping my my thought process and how I go about telling stories in my songs. Well, and uh, if there were obviously other than any of the music you've released this year, were there any albums that uh, that you really enjoyed in 2017? Oh my goodness! Um, so I keep another playlist on Spotify of everything that I love right now, as far as music goes, and there hasn't really been records that I've been really excited about. Um, it's definitely more single and song based, yeah. Which I think is probably just where um, you know the format that most people are putting music out these days. But um, uh, there's a there's an artist named. Ari, A-R-Y, that I re- there's a song that I just love of hers that's on that playlist. Um, and there's, there's several. So I'm trying to think what, what, what stood out to me this year. Um, but I think that song will definitely be the, the song that I, is, is in my most played list. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll definitely link to that playlist and the Christmas playlist uh, in our show notes. And then lastly, if folks want to get in touch and say hi or if they want to follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Awesome. Yeah. At sleeping at last on Twitter and Instagram and then uh, facebook.com slash sleeping at last and then uh, sleeping at last.com. All of the, all of the places you might expect. That's so great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your time today and sharing with us about your creative process. Uh, I know that there's been a ton of stuff here that, that can be transferred to our work as pastors and church communicators. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Seriously, such a treat and an honor to, to get to talk with you. The branches have traded their leaves for white sleeves All warm-blooded creatures make ghosts as they breathe Scars erect 
tightly like gifts under trees. Christmas lights tangle in knots, and you leave our families huddled closely, bedding warmth against the cold. But our bruises seem to surface like mud beneath the snow. So we sing carols softly, as sweet as we know. A prayer that our burdens will lift as we go, like young love still waiting under mistletoe. Welcome December with tireless hope. Let our bells keep on ringing, making angels in the snow, and may the melody disarm us when the cracks begin to show. Like the petals in our pockets, may we remember who we are, unconditionally cared for by those who share our. The table is set, and all glasses are full. Though pieces go missing, may we still feel whole. We'll build new traditions in place of the old. 'Cause life without revision will silence our souls. Let the bells keep on ringing. Making angels in the snow, and may the melody surround us when the cracks begin to show. Like the petals in our pockets, may we remember who we are, unconditionally cared for by those who share our broken hearts. As gentle as feathers. The snow piles high. Our world gets rewritten and retraced every time. Like fresh plates and clean slates, our future is white. New Year's resolutions will reset tonight. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about, at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app, so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes Store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.